Cannibals, a self-referential, self-absorbed play about family dynamics. Tattooed onto my heart. Act two, the family is finished. Okay, Daniel, can I ask you about your Spice Girls phase? What do you mean, phase? It wasn't a phase. A phase makes it sound like a fad. It's not over, it will never be over. If I tear open the shirt, you'll see Spice Girls tattooed onto my heart. Really? Uh, No, not really, really. But you get the idea. Oh, I still have the CDs, the fan magazines, and a full set of the dolls in their original packaging. Those are special, like holy relics. Intense. So it sounds like your dad got that bit of your story right. Yeah, but he missed out on something. What was that? He never mentioned that he was a Spice Girls tragic too. Mark? As in, your dad? Card-carrying member of the fan club. He couldn't get enough of them. The songs, the video clips. Kind of heartwarming, I suppose. He was bonding with you over one of your passions. It gave us something in common, yeah. Something to talk about. But, I mean, I was into the image... The whole glitzy glamour surrounding the band. But Dad wasn't really into any of that. He appreciated them in a a different way, if you know what I mean. Oh, I'm not sure I do. Uh, oh, you okay, Daniel? Is that a nervous, nervous tick? I'm winking a hetero-style oh. boys-will-be-boys wink in honour of my dad. That's what he used to do whenever the subject of the Spice Girls came up. Wink like mad, just to annoy me. He fancied them, especially Ginger. He had the hots for Jerry Halliwell. Quite disgusting, actually. Oh, I see. He felt lust for them in his impure heart. Yeah, deeply creepy. I had these girls up on a pedestal. I loved the whole girl power, cool Britannia thing. But he... well, you know what I mean. He was more into drooling over Ginger in that Union Jack mini dress, was he? Exactly. Which I found... Totally gross. And it was probably the first time I came up against the hetero-homo divide in my own family. The, the, the wall between us and them. His way of looking at the world, and my way. Even though you could say we were singing from the same Spice Girls song sheet, we absolutely weren't. Spice Girls fans. Sophie. As we touched on previously, there tends to be a lot of stereotyping of gays around their love of show business and music divas, the world of fashion and celebrities. And Daniel seems to have experienced something of that kind with the Spice Girls when he was very young. And so did Mark, according to Daniel. I'd prefer to draw a veil over that, my husband's Spice Girls phase, if you don't mind. Let's not talk about it. It will only open up old wounds. But what about Daniel's Spice Girls obsession? Do you remember that? I don't think it had anything to do with being gay or whatever. It's true, isn't it, though? Daniel was a huge Spice Girls fan. Yes, but everything gets distorted, doesn't it? He loves the Spice Girls and he happens to be gay. It's not he loves the Spice Girls because he's gay. I think that might be your... What did you call it again? That, that word you made up to describe what you and Mark do. Heterosplaining? You're heterosplaining showing. 
you and Mark are quite similar in that, aren't you? Um, really? Well, you're both keen on banging on about the gay stereotype and, and I'm not convinced that you're right. I don't claim to be right or wrong. I'm simply reporting what Mark's been telling me. I can only report what I'm told. Well, why don't you report what I'm telling you then? OK, which is what? Which is that this whole gay thing has been blown out of all proportion. It doesn't define Daniel. He's a person, my son, someone I love very, very much. And I think you're trying to turn him into a cliché to represent something that you and Mark and people like you have manufactured out of your prejudices, a stereotype. Actually, I'm just trying to see this from all sides. I have to ask you, Sophie, and I hope this won't offend you, but Daniel is your youngest child, the baby of the family, you might say. Do you think you might be just a little in denial about his homosexuality? What do you mean? Well, it's just that you seem defensive about the aspects of Daniel that fit into what you could call the gay stereotype. And it would be perfectly understandable, uh, I mean, for you to be nostalgic about the youngest child. We don't ever want them to grow up, do we? So what's your point? Is it possible that you as a mother of a gay child might infantilise him in a way? Freeze the relationship at some pre-pubescent stage? Let's call it the the pre-gay stage, before sexuality is fully developed. Might this be your way of coping with the confronting issue of his homosexuality? Wish away the gay, let's say. It's easier to think of him as still your little boy, isn't it? You've got some nerve saying that to me. I'm sorry? You're not sorry. This is your job. This is what you do. Squeeze people dry. Turn them into material for your podcast. Mark does the same thing in his stupid monologues and stories. Just because it's jokey or informative, that doesn't make it less of an exploitation. You haven't given a moment's thoughts for our feelings. And and you'd better keep this next bit in the podcast. I want to be on record saying exactly what you are. OK, and, and what is that exactly? A cannibal. A heartless cannibal. Feeding off people's lives. You and Mark, you're the same tribe. Headhunters. You just can't help yourselves, can you? Well, can I get you a cup of tea, Sophie, or or something stronger? Go to hell. Okay, I'm done. Turn that thing off. I'm out of here. 13 years old. 13 years old. 13 years old. 13 years old. At 13 years old, most of the boys at school are obsessed with grim, brooding superheroes with pumped-up torsos and superpowers. I find I myself am not totally immune to this whole superhero mania but I suspect I approach it from a different angle. I appreciate a colourful costume as much as the next musical theatre aficionado, just as long as it is done tastefully and with flair. My favourite superheroes are the X-Men because I feel there is a connection. They are part of a mutant minority who must protect themselves by keeping their powers a secret from the majority. I totally empathise with the X-Men. I too have a troubling secret power that I must keep to myself at this point in my life. The whole superhero thing. So, Mark, were you a huge X-Men fan yourself? <laughs> Actually, uh, y- yes, I-, I was. The whole superhero thing. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Captain America... I loved all the Marvel comic titles. But if you're thinking that I imposed that onto Daniel, then you're way off the mark. That wasn't how it went. Daniel was a big fan of the X-Men comics and films. And that's what led me to the metaphor of the mutant superpower. 
kind of glamorizes the situation, doesn't it? I mean, would a scared gay kid in the closet really identify with the mutant superheroes? What do you mean? I'm just wondering whether you might be superimposing something more acceptable over Daniel's sexuality. A kind of romanticised veneer. Why would I do that? Coping mechanism. <laughs> Gloss over something you find difficult to accept. So you dress it up in a spandex costume and turn Daniel into someone more palatable. An anti-hero, a gay caped crusader. You know, I'm starting to dislike you. You have no empathy whatsoever. Sadly, as an interviewer, you get used to hearing that. Kind of goes with the job. But let me just say, I absolutely don't mean to offend. <laughs> really? Because you're very good at it. You have a flair for it. You're really good at getting under people's skin, aren't you? Look, why don't you ask Daniel about the whole X-Man thing, if you don't believe me? I will. Superheroes are just so very gay. Ah, yes, the X-Men phase. Well, what can I say? I saw all the movies, read the comics... So your dad got it right in the story? I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he made too much of it, as usual. His style is to overthink everything. I liked the X-Men. I wouldn't say that I loved them. To be honest, I found dad's interest in them a bit overwhelming. He took me to the movies and bought the comics. He was the real fan. What do you make of his... Equating secret mutant powers with keeping your sexuality in the closet. Not much. I didn't make that connection. I don't think like that. That's a writer thing, isn't it? A, a metaphor or whatever. That wasn't me. The main attraction about the X-Men, for me, doesn't appear in Dad's story. He completely missed it. What did he miss? It was all about the costumes. The X-Men, in my opinion, had the best designs. The best colour combinations, the best designs, really imaginative styles. Costumes have always been an interest of yours, right? Yeah, I've always been a dressing-up tragic. And, and people don't bring this up much, but superheroes are just so very, very gay. The colourful clothes, masks, gloves, boots, the buffed-up torsos. The agonising over the fate of civilization as we know uh, it. Maybe not that so much. I don't mind admitting it. I'm all about the style and not that bothered about substance. <laughs> not the serious stuff. You prefer to leave truth, justice and the American way to the Superman fans, is, is that it? Don't get me started on him. Who? The Man of Steel. The big blue guy. Did you see what they did to his costume in the last revamp? What the hell was that about? I saw the movie. It was in the Batman mould, wasn't it? Everything sort of dark and brooding. Why would anybody want that? I think they were, they were aiming for gritty realism, apparently. Yeah, and give me a break. Who wants reality to be gritty? The old Superman was all glammed up and Mardi Gras friendly. He was lovely in a quaint, unfashionable sort of way. And then they had to go on pension off the heritage brand colours. The vibrant blue, red and yellow. Replace them with shit dark metallic hues. And goodbye to the cute underpants worn outside the tights. They stripped them off him, which was a big, big mistake. And the costume fabrication, Jesus, that was a total crime. He looked so much more glamorous in the lycra. Soft textures, bold colours. It's a no-brainer. A teeny bit camp, of course, which has to be a good thing and so much easier on the eyes. You've put a lot of thought into this. 
fashion is my passion, and in my opinion, the X-Men costume designers nailed it. Pure theatre. That's why I love them. But not gritty and realistic. Look, I don't want art to be like life. That's just boring. I want the opposite. I want life to be totally out there and magnificent and unreal like art. That's it. That's all. Do you get it? Do you get me? I get you, Daniel. 15 years old. 15 years old. 15 years old. 15 years old. At 15 years old, I come out of my shell. I have been elected the president of my school science club, and it has gone to my head big time. I adopt lofty cosmological views. I see that the universe is incalculably vast and that the current obsessions of our species are going to look absurd one day. I deliver passionate lectures during science club lunchtime meetings. I say things like, on that first day of contact with an advanced alien civilization, our mating rituals will be seen for what they are. Just silly. These lectures are an absolute triumph. My enthralled audience lap it up. All three of them give me a standing ovation every time. And courage, I go on to cause a stir at a school assembly whilst presenting my science club address. I ask the students, teachers and visiting dignitaries, how many of them have given much thought as to how an alien species in the Alpha Centauri star system might go about reproduction? There are no raised hands. It seems they haven't given that much thought at all, or possibly ever. I ask them to imagine the, exi- the existence of a species of superintelligent asexual gelatinous blobs. This doesn't go over too well either. Furthermore, I say, let us imagine that these asexual super smart, super smart blobs reproduce by cell division. So, what are we to make of this? The audience stares back at me blankly, not making much of it at all, apparently. I spell it out for them by declaring that the sexual practices of any species, including Homo sapiens, are not sacred or profane. The whole of humanity is greater than the sum of our private parts. tish. So, let's just get over our penis and vagina fictions, okay? The headmaster hurriedly winds up my presentation and I am escorted from the podium shouting, For goodness sake, people of planet Earth, lighten up! Bullshit. Daniel, you said that this is the part of the story that really offends you. Is that true? Yep, because it's total bullshit. I was never in a science club. I hated science. None of this sounds like me. It sounds 100% like my dad. And I hate that it's been grafted onto this story that is supposed to be about my childhood. You see what he was trying to do here? It's intended to make our society's obsession with sexual preferences look absurd, right? Yes, of course I get what he was trying to do. I just wish he hadn't stuck his words, his views, into my mouth. You agree with those words, though, don't you? Do I? I don't know. Not really. He seems a bit anti-people's private parts. (laughs) I have nothing against private parts, especially male private parts. I like them. I'm a big fan can't get enough of them, actually. But that's not the point. The fact that Dad totally made up this stuff, that is what makes me uncomfortable. It never happened. It annoys me that some people, after listening to the monologue, they're going to think that's me. That's who I am. Science nerd or whatever. And I'm definitely so not that. I know Dad meant well. I know he was kind of defending me. 
but still, there's just something about it that makes my flesh creep. I can understand that. This is Mike Allen with the Hornsby Karingai headlines. Mark. Yes, come on in. We'll be doing the interview down here. Here we go. Mark. Daniel seems quite disturbed by what he calls a science nerd segment of the monologue. It was entirely fictional, wasn't it? It's a story. I wouldn't call it fiction or fact. I don't even know what those two words mean anymore. In my stories, I don't really care whether I'm writing fact or fiction, just as long as they have one resonating quality. They have to be honest. They have to carry core truths. That's what it's all about. That is the contract with the readers. It's like the Picasso quote about art being the lie that reveals the truth. Mark, we're not talking about something abstract here. We're talking about Daniel, your son. I know that. You don't need to lecture me on my parenting. I was simply making a point. We have fetishised our sexual practices, pronouncing certain kinds connected with reproduction as normal and others connected with homosexual pleasure or gay love or whatever you want to call it as abnormal. I'm trying to dramatise how crazy that is. I get that, Mark. But I wonder whether at a, a subconscious level something else was at play here. Like what? All that gelatinous blobs reproducing by cell division fiction you dreamed up. The aliens without sex organs. Could that be your way of dealing with Daniel's sexuality? By rationalising it out of existence? Wasn't that a way to airbrush his sex preference out of the story? I'm not following you. I think this part of the monologue said more about you than Daniel. You kind of got the icky penises out of the way. You, you didn't embrace his sex preference as valid. You don't deal with gay sex with any frankness, even though this is a story about a gay kid's emerging sexuality. In effect, you're queer-baiting, aren't you? You're dangling a hint of gay lifestyle as a nod and a wink towards gay political correctness. But you never really go there, do you? You don't choose to grapple with what sex means to the gay kid who is the focus of your monologue. Instead, you write it up as if all sex preferences are silly and trivial. You cleaned up the story for yourself and your hetero audience. What a crock of shit. I try to shed some rational light on a sensitive subject and I get this thrown at me. Mark, we've all done it without meaning to. Perpetuating a prejudice whilst appearing to challenge it. Your gelatinous blobs from Alpha Centauri might just be penis-denying homophobia. You made Daniel into a Ken doll. No cock. Right. That's it. I think you'd better leave now. Mark, we're in my house. OK, right. I knew that. Well, obviously, it would work better if I leave then. Turn that Don't be like that, Mark. podcast, dude. Can I ask you something? Oh, hi, Stephanie. I've changed my mind. About doing an interview? Not an interview. I see how that's playing out with the rest of my family. Pretty disastrous, to be honest. But I have got a deal for you. 
if you're interested. What might that be? I'll do a conclusion to your podcast. If you let me. You mean like a kind of narrator commenting on the podcast? Yeah, presented by a family member who isn't in the podcast, tying the story up. Sounds interesting. Why would you want to do that? Just to keep the whole thing real. Try to balance the perspective. And, hopefully, maybe heal some family wounds. I like it. Great idea. Would you consider doing the intro, too? I think that would be a nice touch, an intro and an outro, kind of bookending the podcast. Oh, why not? Okay. As long as I get to say whatever I want to say. Uncensored. Uncut. Stephanie, you have a deal. Stay tuned for Act 3, where Daniel has a surprise for his vicar, and Sophie mourns lost innocence. Cannibals. Script by Mark Hunter. Music by Rowan Lane. Stephanie is played by Heidi Harrington-Johnson. The interviewer is Clive Lane. The actor is Mark Desai. Mark is Rob White. Sophie is Lois Marsh. Daniel is Zoltan Sneed. Voice coach, Christine Rule, produced by Neil Ashworth with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Recorded in the Blackwall Studios, Hornsby.